0: okay, I, want, I care about researchers. How can I make their work better? How can I make their work more efficient? How can I empower them? How can I help them push their insights further? I, of course, I care about the users because in the end, we need to serve them. And this is kind of like the, the end goal for all of us who are in this game. But my, my, my target or the, or the way I, I see it is like I serve researchers now.
1: Hi, I'm Mike Green. And welcome to Understanding Users, the podcast where I chat candidly with UX design and research professionals from around the world to hear about how they build digital products and services in a user-centered way.
0: My name is Julian De La Mattia, and I'm a researcher specialized in research ops, and I help companies build the infrastructure they need for research to happen in their context. So I've been working with companies that had maybe one researcher, two, three, five, ten, or maybe no researcher at all, and I help them set everything they need to, to make their work actually successful. So I have a pass as a researcher, and I still do research. It's not that that's why I introduce or I consider myself a researcher. I've been working in UX research for seven years, a little bit more now. I lost. I I don't count that that precisely. I've been working in companies like Rover.com, Glovo, Kiwi.com. I've been working in Spain, and where I'm based right now. I've been also living and working in Germany for more than four years. But I'm originally Argentinian. So I've been traveling and living around in different places. And now I'm based in in Barcelona. Um, And I decided to specialize particularly in research jobs around two years and a half ago, after being the first researcher or one of the first researchers in the team, or actually working with companies as a freelancer, where they didn't have any researcher or any research practice whatsoever. So I've been used, I kind of picked up the skills for building everything from scratch and setting stuff up. So at some point I kind of got the like a knack for these kind of things. And I said, okay, this is now we have the name research operations or research ops. This is what I want to do. This is, I I consider myself a builder. So at some some point in my career, I did the switch from the finder, you know, the researcher to the builder, which is this this new site. Uh, and I'm in, enjoying the ride. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I like that the, from, from the, the
1: finder to the builder. Um, if you were to give me, Julian, the, the elevator pitch for, for research ops, re-ops, you know what is it in a sentence and, and why is it important?
0: The elevator pitch in one sentence would be the infrastructure needed for research to happen or to be taken to the next level. That's in one sentence. But I, we could also use an analogy, and I, I always try to to use these kind of things to kind of paint the picture. Even if I, I might not paint the full picture, um, I think it can it can be pretty clarifying. So, um, consider or think of researchers as a rock band. You know, they 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 compose songs, they do concerts, they do albums, and research jobs would be kind of the the roadies or the managers. So. When, when the band has to play a concert, this, these people, roadie slash manager, could be both. I mean, I know there are different roles in, in real life, but just for the sake of the, of the analogy, let's put them together. So this group would, will ensure that the, ven- the venue is booked, that the sound is checked, that the lighting works and kind of matches the vibe, that the tickets were properly sold, that the instruments are there when the, when the time comes and everything is ready. So the only thing the band needs to do is go on stage and play and then the only thing they need to do is like write their songs and sell albums. The rest is being taken care of. And this is kind of the, the way I see research jobs. They take care of, or we take care of the rest. We build everything for researchers to go and conduct research. And we take the hassle out of that part, uh, out of the process, sorry.
1: So does that presuppose a certain size of organization? I'm thinking if you've got a startup, let's say you're doing kind of more rapid research can you still have a reops function in a in a in a smaller organization, or does it assume that there's a there's a fair amount of researchers doing a fair amount of work?
0: Definitely, there's no size. I mean, we we do have. There's a tendency or a trend that most companies that have research ops are large companies that have maybe a larger a, a large research team, or they have this what we now call people who do research. Uh, if research is happening and there are many people involved, normally these companies have. There's a trend. So if you go, if you look for uh, for companies that have research jobs as a function, you probably see uh, like a, a pattern there, large companies. But this doesn't mean there's there are no ops. So there's no possibility for ops to, to to be a thing in other sizes of companies. Um, and I actually I'm I'm a, I'm a strong supporter and a strong believer that we should start with research jobs early on, even when you have one researcher or no researcher at all. Because it, the key, the key thing here is like, is research happening in your company, regardless who's conducting it. I'm not going to go into this. What do I think about research democratization or continuous discovery? I know these are like hot topics in 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 the research world. But if research is happening, okay, you should have someone taking care of the operations part because the the earlier you start, the better off you are, because you're right. setting up yourself for success. So. I like that.
1: to flip it on its head, then what would you say the consequences are for not doing that? If you don't establish a proper Reops function early on, what kind of trouble can you get yourself into as an organization?
0: Okay, If you have a team of researchers, uh, the, the pros of starting early is that you start setting the process in place and you, ser- you set the infrastructure in place, and then it's easier to scale later on. So this is the more people you have in your team, or as your team grows, the more moving pieces you have there. And there's more output, there's more. Let's let's use an example. So you have five, we have three researchers, but then you you start growing, and then all of a sudden you have eight. So from three to eight, it's a big, it's a big leap. And then you have like, or or from let's let's do three and six. From three to six, there's it's double the size. So you have double the, the need for participants, double the need, or double the need for organizing processes, also double the output most likely. So the more people are involved, the, the more complicated it is to coordinate everything. So it's good to orchestrate everything from the start and set the practice right from the start. So then it's easier to scale and it's easier to, to control somehow. And then in in the case of companies that don't have researchers, and but they're people conducting research, there are many, many things to it. You know, there's, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that the research there is necessarily bad quality or there is like set up for <laughs> failure but I'm saying these people are not necessarily specialists in research so there, there are many things that happen you know that they, they don't know how to source participants or they they have problems with that and they don't comply with I mean here in Europe we have GDPR and all these privacy laws so, you know they don't comply to that they have pro- they, they introduce a lot of bias in the interviews because they're not trained there so there are many, many holes in the in the practice that could be filled from the research from from with the research ops, uh, role in place. Right. Okay.
1: So let's say I'm an organisation of 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 you know medium size, for example. But, but you said it size doesn't matter. And I come to you and I'm digitally immature, but I, I want to get onto the, um, you know, the, get the ball rolling with under, uh, you know user centred design and kind of a user centred approach to building things, building products. Uh, but I haven't the first clue about how to go about it in terms of research. What what would you say to me, and how would you how would you upskill m- m- me and my team as an organization?
0: Well, I will start asking questions about the team size. Then, what are your plans? I think those those two are the initial questions I would ask because it can happen. Okay, we have three researchers now, but we don't plan on growing the team, or we have two, but we want to scale to ten. This is kind of like the recipe. This is like going to the doctor. okay, tell me your symptoms and I, and I tell you how we can go about it or what, what, what you should take. And, and the approach and the thing you, you build need to fit that context. So it's very different to like the things I would suggest to a company that has a small research team and wants to grow is slightly different to what I recommend to a startup who's conducting continuous discovery and they need something. So there, there are several ways. You can, you, can cre- you can create a dedicated role. You can hire a, 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 a specialist. You can have a fractional research ops team. You know they you, they only do some part. Of, you can hire an agency for that. There are many ways of going about it. You can you can define okay we have a team of five people and these two are gonna handle the ops part. So they're gonna split their workload or the capacity, and they would I know thirty percent, forty percent of their capacity would be spent on building infrastructure. So there are many things going about it. This, there's no one size fits all. So I think that's important to state because many many people, when they think of research jobs, they believe, okay, yeah, we don't have, for, uh, apart from the team side, that that's probably the first thing they think of, okay, we don't have a team of 15 researchers, we don't need ops now. That's one thing. But then the, the other part is that we don't have the budget or we cannot increase the headcount to include specialists. Well, that doesn't mean you can work on research jobs. There are many things of going about it. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of kind of once you've got a research ops discipline kind of established, how can they best work with and support digital teams, you know, delivery teams who might be kind of working on a particular piece? They might be in, let's say, a discovery phase. It might be an alpha phase. How should the two kind of things mesh together?
0: Well, this goes back to the structure of of that you have in place, if you have researchers or not, and how you plan on seeing that. But let's imagine we have a group of researchers, let's say you have three, four researchers in the team. So first of all, you need to understand the context and first of all, the product, the industry, because that is different to the work B2C that the work B2B. And then the context and how, how, is, how does research happen in the company? I mean, the first thing you need to do is an evaluation because then you, you pick what you need to focus on. Some companies have really like, holes with participant management, some others with knowledge management, some others have problems with processes and and, and or some others have the thing of research democratization and this is like all over the place. So so understanding the context is the first thing you need to do. Um, and then you start picking per, the parts. There, there, there are eight pillars. We don't need to go over them now, but there are different things research jobs can tackle. So by assessing the situation, you can then choose what to start with. Right.
1: And what about the kinds of tools that uh, a, a reops team or you know reops function would would use? Do you have particular things that you you recommend, or you you would suggest that uh, you know the particular bits of software they could think about?
0: Well, the thing with research ops specialists, I would say, and, and probably if there's some listening, would we'll probably agree. I think our our craft is very tool agnostic, and we should be very tool agnostic because actually. This is again, like the doctor, what are, what, what are your symptoms? And then i tell you which medicine. It's not the same to take profit than to take something stronger, you know? So it will depend on on many things, on, on on the context, on the team, on the budget, especially. So I work with companies that have a larger budget, so I recommended, I don't know, they want you to build a repository. So, okay, this is the tool for you, according to your needs and your, your strategy using the repository and the budget. But I also work with startups that were like, they were bootstrapping, so there were there was no chance of spending I don't know 10k on a, on a on a fancy repository. Nothing against them, also love them, but we needed we need to go like really really lean and really cheap there. So we built something on on Google Sheets using queries and so. So this is we need to be mindful of this broad spectrum when when recommending tools. There are many things, many factors involved.
1: And and you raised repositories there, and I just want to dig into that in a bit more detail because. You know, obviously, there's a, a you know they seem to be proliferating all the time, and I myself have started using a couple of uh, you know one recently that I hadn't used before. You know, just on a, from a broader research perspective, not just research ops, but what's your view on how useful they are or not? Kind of what
0: benefits they can bring to to, to research teams. They can bring a lot of benefits, but we need to be mindful of the strategy first. You know, the first thing you need to define is. How, what do you need? What does your team need? And what can your team or what would your team use? And then you can, you can define how, how the strategy and the next steps and so on. I think now I agree, repositories are a hot topic. Everybody wants to build one. Oh, OK, yeah, I, I, I saw or I talked to this, this colleague of mine, they're building the, the repo, it's great, it's looking great. Also, we also need one. It's not going to solve, if you, if you don't set it up correctly, it's not going to solve the problems that you're set up to, to, to solve. So the first thing I always recommend is strategy. You need to define many things. Uh, I always try to frame in a C five C's framework. You know the content, the, the 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 who's who's creating the content, who's actually consuming the content, what kind of content, who's cleaning it up. Uh, we, you need to define all these things first. It's not the same to create um, a repository for. Um, researchers to look for stuff like they look up their own work and they say okay but then to build something for or is meant to be used across the board like all everybody anybody in the company can go inside and look for insight it's not the same it requires a different structure a different size or or you you don't need to have so many things in place in one or the other you know so that's important then how how you how you create the content and who creates it it's not the same a, a, a repository for research is probably very different to some, than a repository for product managers or for designers or for I don't know, everybody, people from sales or CRM that can go inside. It's very different. So I think defining that from the, from the get-go is important. We should not run, okay, let's build the, the repository because it's cool. You know? Yeah,
1: and, and the danger is with this world sometimes is that happens, is not it? The latest, shiniest thing. Everyone jumps on the bandwagon and wants to, wants to sort of have it. Um, thinking about kind of lessons you've learned along the way, what, we, what would you say, Julian, in terms of, you know, you yourself as a researcher and, you know, a, a ReOps expert, what, what have you learned in terms of kind of best practice for doing, you know, for, for setting up a, a reops discipline?
0: Well, first of all, you need, you need to make sure, or you need to make clear, I would say, that it takes time to build the right infrastructure and you will start progressively, and that, and that the impact you will have is not going to be seen right away. So let's say you rework the way participants, uh, research participants are managed. You 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 will start reworking that. You will try. You will learn from that. You will iterate. But then once you set it up, you will you will probably won't see results in the in the first couple of months. You will start seeing them later on. Let's say one one specific thing. You build a panel for participants. So you're not going to see results in the in the first two weeks or the first month not even the second month. You know, it's gonna take a long time to build that and to curate that and to make the most out of it. Same with the repositories, which is, which is discussed that. Like when you have a repository with uh, 10 reports, you don't see, you know, how much it is. And one quarter is not gonna give you a lot of information, but two will, or maybe three. And then talking to the stakeholders, gathering their feedback and polishing. Same with the taxonomy, you know, the, the tagging, the tagging part of the, the, the keywords we use for searching. You, 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 I always recommend starting small and then iterating and learning. So the first thing that I, that I learned because you're always very excited, okay, yeah, let's build this, let's build that, let's just change everything. It takes time to see results. And that's what I learned. It, it, it's, it's tough. It can, be, it can be, you know, you can get a lot of pressure for. okay, so how are we faring now? Are we better than before? So, I was, yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to ask
1: you about pressure and, and skepticism perhaps like it I, I totally agree with you it takes time but i can see why particularly lean organizations very focused on the bottom line for someone to come in and say this is going to cost you x it's going to take this long you probably are not going to see uh you know a huge amount of return on that investment up front even if the investment very small how do you deal with that skepticism like the senior stakeholders
0: it's it's not easy and and I have to say that the thing with research jobs and and one of the challenges that I, that I, I I've been facing and I also face is talking to companies that kind of are not so mature in terms of design so m- normally our allies are of course research because well uh, I don't I don't even count them as allies because we're part of the same family you know so it's the same but I would say designers and in some cases product managers but like normally on, on a senior management level, there's like, what is research ops? So why, why is there even a need for this? You know, so, so, so trying to pitch the need for building a research infrastructure to companies that have no researchers has, has proven to be quite difficult, saying, okay, why do we need that? And there are many, case, there are many uh, we, you can make a strong case by saying, okay, this is how much, how much money you save, how much time you save, how many problems you, you avoid with uh, privacy laws and so on, so so that's uh, that's tough. It's, it's tough to measure also because uh, there are some things that are e- are easier to show than others. But uh, but the impact can be can be, uh, in the long run. You can show you can show it. It's a Absolutely. matter of time. Let's focus now on um, Julian de la Mattia himself.
1: Like your career, sort of to date. I'm interested, in just kind of winding the clock back a bit. Talk me through how you've got to to where you've got to.
0: Okay. Uh, if you really want to go back at the start, I have a background in international business, actually. And I, this is not on my LinkedIn. So if you go and check me online, this is, uh, this is <laughs> not there, but I worked a couple of years in international trade, doing imports and exports and all that. Uh, this was my life before tech. It feels like really <laughs> back in time. Uh, but then I, when I, I, I decided to, to start in tech, and, and I started off as a product manager, actually. Um, so I had ca- around two years doing product management. I, I have to admit I was not that good at it. I, <laughs> I, I In the end, you know, product manager has different sides to it. And and I was really focused on this customer, you know, and this customer discovery your product market fit and trying to understand users, understand customers. No wonders how I ended up in UX research later on, but at, some, at that time I didn't know UX even existed or it was a thing. So I'm talking about like almost ten years ago. Uh, so at some point I, I, I said, okay, I think I like this customer discovery part, talking to you. Okay, let's let's try to learn how to get better at this. So I started buying books and 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 I I, I, I bought and I lost count how many books I bought in that in that time, and I was like like devouring books. It was, it was uh, uh, consuming a lot of info. And then I, I, I got this book called Sprint, a pretty famous one. Uh, and I, I moved to Germany. I was living in Argentina at the time. I moved to Germany and I got in touch with a, with a designers collective who was doing design sprints uh, combined with design and research. So research was pretty lightweight, but they were they were heavy on design sprints. So I actually started being a facilitator that did some research um mostly related to design sprints so uh, maybe it was a design sprint i conducted some research before or afterwards with the usability testing so it was pretty much this package kind of research but then i also kept on trying okay i need to i want to become better at this i want to learn how to talk to customers better i want to know new methods and so on Uh, and then i kept i kept on learning and i kept on pushing for more research like a little bit like opening up the scope it's not just the Two weeks before, two weeks after the sprint, but like maybe larger and larger, and then I decided, okay, this is great, but maybe this is not the context for me. I need to go in house to learn the craft properly. So I joined a company, and as the as a first researcher, they were they were moving stuff. There was a merge going on at the time, so I was uh, I had the first time as a product researcher, and then I started building stuff and doing research. I was the first one doing doing that there. Uh, and I kind of like this, this thing of building, you know, okay, we need to, first of all, like, evangelize a little bit of what research is and showcasing it involving stakeholders, um, signing tools, all this part, I really enjoyed participants, how to get them and how to have a uh, building the newsletter, the newslet- sorry, the, the, the user base or, uh, or sending in recruitment to the newsletter and so on. Uh, so then afterwards it was one company after the other doing this. I had like kind of quite like some companies in a row where I was the first one. And then I started freelancing and I also was the first one or they, or or one of the first one assisting the team. So I kind of got involved into the infrastructure talks like early on. And, and two years ago, I decided to create my own agency called the One Eighty, And, and I started again with facilitation and this. Uh, but now we pretty much switched to research job support and consultancy and building staff. I'm also coaching coaching students who want to learn, researchers want to learn research jobs. Um, so I'm doing all that here. And I'm also the research lead at a company called Kiwi.com. So I, I still have my researcher heart uh, there, but that's that's uh, a different track. Yeah,
1: You're a busy guy by the sound of it. Um, <laughs> tell me, what is it, Julia, that you love about research, doing mm-hmm. research? uh and and conversely what frustrates you or challenges
0: you about it well i have to say that at some point mind my words here it's not that i don't love research but i stopped loving research as profoundly as i used to and i i because when you're a researcher you you really care i mean it's not that i don't care but really care about the users you want to understand users you want to you're you're you want to vouch for them. You're their voice. You want to bring their input. That's that's kind of your goal. You want to find out stuff, their needs, and build and brief the others of what do we need to build to cater their needs and and serve them. But at some point, I don't know when exactly. I don't have clear a clear idea on this. But at some point, I stopped caring that much about users and I started loving researchers. You know what I mean. This is. So uh, that's probably at some point, without noticing my switch to becoming a research ops person said, okay, I want, I care about research. How can I make their work better? How can I make their work more efficient? How can I empower them? How can I help them push their insights further? So I did change that. So now I, of course I care about the users because in the end we need to serve them. And this is kind of like the, the end goal for all of us who are in this game. But my, my, my target or the, or the way I, I see it is like I serve researchers now.
1: So your users are the researchers effectively and the research teams rather than the, well, in addition to the end users, if you
0: like. Exactly. Yeah. Also stakeholders. We don't, we don't want to leave them out yeah, too. Yeah, you know, course. product managers, designers, we love you too. But you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah.
1: That's a given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we haven't touched on AI yet. It seems remiss. You know, any conversation you have in this world these days seems to involve AI in some form. But AI or not, kind of how do you see this
0: discipline evolving? Well, research has been messy in the couple of months and couple of years, I would say. And there are many things going on. First of all, I would say that um, there was this emergence of, the, of UX research as a thing, as a role. I'm going a bit back in, in, in like a couple of years ago. Started to appear. I remember back then when you went on LinkedIn or Glassdoor or any any portal you like to look for jobs, you would you would type UX research and you have maybe one result, or even none. And and so we started seeing that growth, and we started like more positionings were opening, especially here in Europe. Maybe in the US it was like slightly earlier, but in Europe it was like this: if 2017 or 18 research positions were hard to come by. And then we started seeing more and more and more. It's not still, I'm not going to say it's really universal. Like, we don't have statistics on this, but I would say most companies don't have researchers. That's a fact. We don't need, I I don't think we need any statistics, but I would say very low percentage. So we're still far from being universal. There are companies that still don't have that. But it's been growing. Uh, I I don't want to talk about layoffs. I mean, it's a a tough situation for all out there, not only researchers, but also engineers, designers, staff, like we, we are in a tough world now. So layoffs aside, I think we, we, can, we can say that nowadays we are in a better position than we were or, or a more known position than we were five, 10 years ago. So research grow, but also we have other factors like research democratization and the emergence of continuous discovery in the last year, year and a half, I would say. I'm not, I'm not gonna, we could if you want, but uh, I think there's so much content on what research democratization is and is it good, is it bad. Um, I try to stay away from this. But, uh, and yeah. just to
1: clarify that, when you say research democratization, tell me more about what, what, what
0: do you mean by that. Okay. Well, I think originally the need for research democratization was meant to be, okay, we need to make research accessible. We need to share it. We need to make people aware of what we do. Uh, but then the conversation kind of turned and and now it became a way of saying, okay, let's empower people who are not researchers to conduct research. Um, there are many, many flavors to this. You have people say, anybody can conduct research, yeah, feel free. There are others who are like, no, researchers are the only ones who are meant to be doing this. And then you have this in-betweens of like, yeah, let's keep like, strict control over this. Um, but without saying if it's good or bad i'm i'm more on the negative side i mean i think we need to be we need to keep st- like very strict control of this because it can get really out of hand this is a symptom of something else of of research teams failing to to um, showcase or maybe make a strong case for them for the or or to increase the headcount because this comes as a need of i have too many requests i need more people i don't get approval for headcount i need to what do we do with this with this research. No, with the, sorry, with this request. So we, we share it with someone else. That's kind of the symptom, the underlying symptom, I would say. And it, and it devalues the
1: discipline, doesn't it? You wouldn't, you know, if you're short of developers, you don't go and pull someone off the street and go, here you go, can you sit down and just do some, uh, some coding for me? Or you wouldn't do it with product managers or, you know, other disciplines. But it feels like, you know, people think, oh, you know, it's just talking to people. There's a risk that it's perceived to be, oh, you know, anyone could do this. But I would argue that, well, I would hope that we add value because we have specialist skills and experience in the way we do it.
0: There's, there's definitely that. I think the, the, um, the output can be definitely lower quality uh, because it's like, fee, like having someone cook for you, and this person maybe doesn't have the knowledge of sanitary rules. So whatever you get cooked, maybe you can get food poisoning out of it. It's not just if it tastes, if it tastes good or bad. It can be there. But having said that i think there are many great areas there so designers doing usability testing could be a thing could be a thing maybe yeah maybe not product managers i mean steve blank in 2004 i think wrote the um, four steps epiphany he talks about get out of the building and talk to customers so product managers have this ingrained that we need to talk to customers so I also don't like this position of some researchers take of like, no, we should be the only ones talking to customers. You, product manager, go to Jira and stop bothering me. I, I also don't like that approach. Well, so we,
1: that's also, yeah. just to jump in, that's also, dare I say it, nonsense in many ways, because if you think about, uh, like I think about my client I'm working with at the moment, they have a you know a call center effectively, and the people that are handling the calls from customers are also very much on the front line talking to users every day. And it's very important in terms of any kind of research and design process that you involve people like that as well, because they have lots of insight beyond what we, we researchers have.
0: Exactly, exactly, definitely. Yeah, so that's, that's the point there. I, from my perspective, there are two key things about research democratization that we should assess. First of all, the risk. Because we, we assume that it's lower quality because it's not done by the top experts in that. So it can be lower quality. So, okay, what kind of projects are you putting on their plate? And what's the risk? If you get this wrong, can the company go sideways and then build something like embarking a journey where we're not coming back? You know, we're just going Titanic here. That's one thing you need to assess. It's not the same. Okay, just talk to some customers, get some ideas, and then we polish that further than to say we need to make a very important business decision or design decision based on this output. Then, you know that's where pros are pros you know that's that's my take but also there's one important thing that sometimes gets overlooked that this is a transfer of capacities so when you have a product manager or a, or, um, or a designer conducting research they're not doing something else so they're not designing or they're not uh whatever that whatever the role is they're not doing that so it's the benefit you get from them making your workload like lower is is that better than 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 is that time better spent there than on the on their craft so you need to make that 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 kind of calculation somehow if there's a calculation to be made it's more like a like a feeling you know it's like a designer spending three days conducting usability usability testing is that a good idea or should they be designing? And that's kind of I think each team should make their own calls there but definitely something to consider.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mentioned AI before. I'm interested to know how do you foresee that impacting research discipline going forward?
0: I'm not, I'm not very scared of AI. Um, I'm all, AI is a tool. And the problem is when people use tools for their own thing. That's the problem. AI as a thing is not the problem. The problem is how we use AI. Some the thing is, if we now think that going on Chat GPT and asking stuff there is going to be any form of research, maybe desk research, if anything, remotely close. But that's that's pretty much that. But I've seen tools. Okay, we have these users, and that they don't exist, and they're made of. So I I don't I don't know. I don't think that's the that's the way to go. But on the other hand, we have some tools experimenting with AI for. Apart from note taking, for creating or, or helping you cluster the output of your research, so they could be they could really accelerate the the way researchers work. And I'm from an ops perspective, this is great. We want to make work more efficient and easier. So all these things actually make sense, and I think this is the the it's good news in that regard. But I'm not I'm not scared of AI replacing researchers or no no I don't I don't think so. That's Maybe I'm wrong, and, and in three years, you're interviewing Skynet, I don't know. You know, like Terminator all over the place.
1: I was going to say, well, we'll, we'll come back to this in a few years. Maybe none of us will be here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not, eh? Um, final thing, uh, Julian, my three-card challenge. So I've got here, as I always do, so Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Spades, and Ace of Hearts. And on the back, I've written either tool, technique, or trend. So if I can just get you to pick one.
0: Um, I'm going with the, with the ace. Okay. So the ace is tool. Okay. Wrong. Wrong one. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, as I said before, as a research ops specialist, uh, I have to be tool agnostic. I, I'm, I'm the, the one having the Swiss army knife. So I can't really marry any of the tools. I need to say, this is the best tool for your context, for your needs, for your team. And that's pretty much that. I need to. I need to keep myself agnostic. If you want, I can. I can take another card. If you want, I can draw another
1: uh, one. We will do in a second. Just first of all, I, I totally get that for the kind of work you do. But in terms of your own work, let's say a tool, a bit of software you have on your own laptop that you use day to day that you find pretty helpful or or, or beneficial to you. Is there something? You okay.
0: Do? Okay. Notion. Okay. Tell me more. Why? Notion, because it's. Um... It's very flexible. You can do many things. There are a million templates. You can move stuff around. You can use it for so many things. Uh, and I got really fond of it. And it's it's really lightweight. It's really easy to share stuff around. Uh, it's really easy to get people onboarded there. So Notion, and also Notion for me, and again, coming to this different teams, different needs, different uses, it's pretty universal. I can have conversations with... with um, with a large company and with a startup, and both could use Notion. So that's why also like it's very, very, very versatile. Two more cards. Okay. The um, the Q the Queen the Queen.
1: So on the back I've written trend. Trend. What's a? And this could be positive or negative. A trend you see in our world.
0: Okay. Okay, picking up from, from the from the the question you asked me for, I I said, you know, we have the growth of the of the researcher, the the boom of research democratization, whether it's good or bad, I'm not I'm not gonna evaluate that. And we also have the the appearance of continuous discovery, which is product trios, which is which are PMs, designers and engineers conducting interviews every week or research every week. That's a, that's a new trend. And that's also something we need to address, especially from a research objective perspective. So these teams normally don't have researchers, don't have infrastructure. And I think the, the spirit of what Teresa Torres put in her framework is amazing. I think it's is great, but we need to set the boundaries there. So connecting this to the question, how do I see the future? I think there's a case for more operational roles in the future, and I'm not, I know you might say, "Okay, some bias there because you're a research job specialist. But I do see more of us popping up or more researchers deciding to go towards operation. I would say some people will choose more strategic research, but some others will choose operations and say, "Okay, how can we get involved in these processes? How can we chip in and combine research and ops? Not fully ops necessarily, but combine that and have this whole like whole team conducting research led by researchers with the proper infrastructure in place. That's how I see things going.
1: And out of interest, are there have you come across many uh, you know whether in the conference circuit or just generally online, other Reops specialists, other organizations, you know, like your own uh, sort of extolling the virtues and, tr- and coaching in Reops? Is it is it a gr- is it a growing thing around the world, would you say?
0: I think research shops in general is still uh shaping and it's growing and there's more stuff online more people are joining so yeah we're not a lot if you go online there's not a we we are we have blogs we have communities It's growing and i hope there's more and i think i noticed there's a there's a slight increase in people interested in especially researchers i know i'm not aware of many people doing this um especially coaching or or, or trying to create research jobs where there was nothing before I think we're a couple and we're a handful, but I, I, I hope so that I, I think I hope this grows because everybody would benefit from that in the end. So if we see more people evangelizing and pushing for research jobs and trying to build the research infrastructure, everybody can benefit from this. And last one then, Julian. Yeah.
1: Jack is technique
0: technique. This should not not come as a surprise at this at this time. I mean, we we've spoken for uh, almost an hour already. So facilitation is definitely something that is, that can be game changing, and and I have to say that I, I I had different roles, different flavors of roles, and different stuff. But something that never left my side was facilitation. That's the, that's the real Swiss Army knife. Do you need to align your team? We can do a workshop. Do you need to come together and ideate? You can do a workshop. Do you need to put your insights in motion and kind of have people take action? You can do a workshop. Do you need to define objectives? You can do a workshop. It's a, it's a Swiss army knife. And, and this I advise every, anybody who's listening to this, if you get the chance to learn how to facilitate workshops, there doesn't need to be a, a retreat, a design sprint, or anything, one hour, two hour workshop, it, this can definitely change your game. You can benefit, and your team can benefit so much from that.
1: I'm just chuckling when you said retreat. I was just imagining a kind of research retreat. I can't <laughs> like the
0: sound of that. <laughs> well, maybe that's a, that's an idea we can test. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Julian, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, thank you so much. If, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go?
0: They can find me on LinkedIn, um, Julian Julian Mattia. Uh, I post uh, three times a week there. I create content, research jobs, and research. So if you want to w- learn more, you can follow me there. I'm launching my newsletter at the end of this month after summer kind of fades away. When summer is fading away, my, my newsletter is coming. So so also, if you're interested, you, c- you can join that. So thanks a lot, Mike, for for having me. It was It was my pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Understanding Users. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Join me again next time when I'll be sharing some more insights from digital design professionals. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred.